0: Creative Connectors, a podcast for curious minds. My name's Vicky Keeler, and I'll be chatting to the makers and creators who aim to connect and inspire through the platform of festivals. We'll be delving into how they show up in the world, why they do what they do, their journey, inspiration, and everything in between. So sit back and enjoy the chat, because who knows where these conversations are going to go. And if this is your kind of podcast, please subscribe, follow, share with friends and get involved and give some feedback. In today's episode, we're going to be speaking to Tara Medina, who is one of the directors of Strawberry Fields Festival. So thank you for coming on and having a chat, Tara. Um, Uh, Pleasure. Pleasure. I mean, I reckon it'd be hard for somebody not to know about Strawberry Fields, especially if they live in Australia. But it would be lovely. (laughs) It would be lovely to hear... Um, I guess, how it came about and, you know, where came that point where you decided, right, we're going to create a festival?
1: Um, You'd think that it would be the kind of thing that people really think through and and build up to, but I I think in our case it was far from that. We were really quite young and um, definitely very naive and we just – we loved music. We loved events. We loved being with our friends and our community. And uh, a large festival that we used to go to had sort of just gone out of um, circulation in quite scandalous fashion. And that was normally at the, in the last weekend of November every year, so the kickoff of summer. And we were like, "What are we going to do that weekend? You know, this this show's normally on." And um, my co-director um, Elliot, who Who's, who had the bright idea of, of starting strawberry and, and calling it that said let's just get a bunch of our friends together and do our own thing and I think initially the plans were relatively modest um, you know it was going to be like a donation thing with a really or a really really cheap ticket price but I think plans started to get more and more grandiose and uh, it was about getting better speakers and we're gonna get the stage and now we're gonna have an international DJ or two and Things kind of escalated quite quickly and, and then suddenly tickets were on sale and this was in the days before Facebook and, and before really promoting things online. It was, it was physical tickets, it was flyers at record stores and, and all that kind of thing. But um, long story long, um, we had about a 1,000 people rock up to a scout camp in East Gippsland and we had absolutely no idea what what the hell we were doing. I should, am I allowed to swear on the show? I don't know. I should be yeah. probably be careful about that. Nah, um, oh we had God. no idea what the fuck we were doing then in that case. Um, and you know, people started rocking up, and we're like, we don't even have people to work on the gates. All shifted all weekend, and we don't have a float. We don't have people on cleaning duty. Like there was this huge storm the night before we opened the gates, and. Everything that we'd set up for the last three days had just, like, blown away. It was an an absolute fiasco, but the vibes were high. Yeah. And the energy was great. And and despite all the catastrophes, I think everyone had a great time. And the question afterwards was, like, are you going to do it again? And we kind of just kept going from there. And it was slightly less of a nightmare, I suppose. Um, But that's kind of what happens when you start a festival and you're, like, Nineteen, twenty years old, I guess. Is you, you learn everything by doing it the wrong way first, and maybe second. hopefully <laughs> not third. Um, but yeah, that was really the genesis. I mean, it was not. It was not um, planned or thought out. It was very organic and, and haphazard and and beautiful in that way, chaotic in that way. But um, evolved over a decade as we evolved as people into what it is now.
0: Yeah, and what would you say, like say it's evolved, what would you say the intention very much behind the festival is now?
1: Um, it's, it's hard to summarise, I suppose, things like that in, in a really succinct way. Um, I think that fundamentally we just don't want to be boring. <laughs> Fair. We, well, we want to continue to inject into the curation of the program the vibe you feel around the ground the facilities what we think is a step change and an improvement and more inspiring based off what we're seeing in our own lives and at other festivals around the world um and just like in in life in general we just want to keep refreshing and improving it according to the standards of what we think is the most inspiring around us at the time we don't want to just rinse and repeat a show yeah Um, every single year
0: and where do you take that inspiration from is that from international festivals is it from different types of artists or just the individuals that you spend time with
1: yeah I mean it's an interesting question like I think inspiration comes from from everywhere um like I mean I, I love going to shows myself I love music I love going to festivals and I think it's about trying to avoid what what bores and aggravates us and move towards what what challenges and inspires us you know like whether you see a really smart idea for like how to label a bin somewhere and that could be like you know in the streets of your local your local city area or it could be at a show um, or like music that you see locally or music that you see internationally it's 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 just, absorbing everything that inspires you and bring it to the show like i'll see i've, I've booked artists are buskers that i saw in town in melbourne you know over the years and i've booked artists who i've never met in my life and that i just saw on youtube yeah. so it, it's it's what you see around you and and kind of bringing that all together into some weird um medley
0: yeah <laughs> um, well a medley um, that um, aims yeah. to inspire right you know so many people must come to strawberry and feel incredibly inspired by yeah the music that they hear the art that they see and and that curated experience that you guys pull together um what I do you, so. yeah I well I would <laughs> like to think so by the kind of feedback that we see across you know socials and whatnot um mm. when it comes to the role that festivals play in culture and society Um, i yeah i think it's kind of changed over the years what's your perspective on it
1: i think that it's it's easy the easy way out is to say that our job is to just make people have a good time um but i think there's kind of a spectrum of festivals and and the role that we play also exists on a spectrum so the expectations of a you know, I mean, you have things that are called festivals that run for 10 hours, yep. and then you have things called festivals that run for 10 days. So that that term, festival, I think kind of is, is a really broad stroke um, to a lot of different footprints of show. And my expectations of the cultural contribution of, of a 10-hour show versus a 10-day show is, is, is really, really different. And... For us, you know, sitting in that more multi-day experience, I think that we owe more than just showing people a good time. Like we are essentially their home for for four days, you know, Um, and you have to be able to facilitate great experiences but also be there to catch people if they fall Mm -hmm. and, and have support networks in place for that. And be willing to speak to like a diversity of experiences when you say show someone a good time. Because, you know, if you're going to a, what I would say is more a concert, but is often called a festival that goes for 10 hours, you're just really there to see music and you blink and it's over. Um, and you're there to squeeze in as many great performances um, and moments with your mates as you can in 10 hours. But... Really, you get there and and it's lunchtime, you leave, and it's just after dinner. And what you need from that event is quite limited, you know, whereas we have to provide places where people can rest, restore, connect, you know, have times in in huge crowds but also have times of of more introspection, solitude or or intimacy with with good friends and partners. So so there's a a much broader um, responsibility that we have. I guess as a multi-day show, especially as a camping show in a in a greenfield site, but um, in a cultural context, I mean, whether it's the ten-hour show or the or the ten-day show, um, I think festivals have a really important role to play with young people. And when I first started going to shows, I don't know, it makes me feel old to say, but like over a decade ago. Um, I, my friends and I often felt like the youngest people there. And, and that was quite common, I suppose. But now it it feels like a lot. And and especially at strawberry, our crowd is generally under 25, um, the majority. And if you have this critical mass of young people, um, you kind of owe them a responsibility, (laughs) um, to, to shape who they are as people, you know, like I, I think that a lot of people, uh are concerned with with the makeup of a crowd and and are they at a show where it's the right crowd and and does everyone fit who they want to be and who they want to be around and, and i i have empathy for that feeling but at the same time i also feel like it's more important that it doesn't matter who you are when you rock up it's who you are when you leave yep so that was an extremely long-winded answer to a very no, short but, question
0: you know i think it's I think it's an important one and and to your point with there being uh, quite you know mass younger crowds it's almost like festivals are seen as a rite of passage for a lot of people it's not to say that everyone goes to festivals but for the individuals that choose to go. I don't think when you, when you first go to a camping festival, I don't think anything can prepare mm. you for it because there's nothing else that's like that. Unless you've been yeah, on a long stint camping with your mates and you happen to have taken a sound system and stuff like that, there's nothing that sure. really likens it. So it is quite sure. um, yeah impactful to individuals, and no matter what age, to be honest. Um, mm. When it comes to what you would like to see in the future... Um, of festivals and the industry are there any key things or areas you want
1: to see grow and evolve hundred uh, percent I mean while there will always be a place in in our society and in, and in our culture for just letting loose I suppose and, and um, really <laughs> I don't know a better way to say it than letting your hair down I think that we're in a really pivotal time um, in history, and maybe maybe every generation has felt this way in their yeah. own time and in their own way, but, you know, we're all super aware of these these turning point issues on climate change, on the environment, you know, geopolitically yeah. – in terms of economic systems i mean we're in the middle of a freaking pandemic like uh, i think as a young person the the weight of the world has never felt heavier yeah. um maybe it's not heavier relative to you know living in world war one or like in the medieval times or whatever but the the information load of of the degree of that weight is really, really profound, you know. So there's this huge drive for young people to unleash and, and use use festivals and, and music and, and these events as an outlet to just really let go. And I think that's great, you know, it's cathartic. But um, at the same time, I'd love to see festivals pay more attention to how we're shaping the future, you know. Like we are essentially ephemeral cities you know people are there for a matter of days and then there's another 360 or let's say once you include setting up and packing down with 340 before you're there again so we have this huge opportunity to reset and rethink and redesign the way this temporary city works which means we can be really experimental and it means we have a lot more capacity for change than you know, the city of Melbourne or the city of Sydney or the city of New York, um, we can actually implement dramatic change from one year to another um, and and have, do that with forethought and planning um, and learning from previous shows. So given that unique situation that we're in, I think we have an obligation to use it and experiment and trial new systems, new models um, of sustainable systems of economic systems. I mean they're really one of the same if you think about it. Um and just ways of relating to one another, supporting one another. It's 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 our opportunity in a very idealistic way, it's, it's our opportunity to create uh utopia is probably a played out term, but like to at least try and head in that direction without the constraints of um modern day life, I suppose. Mm.
0: Yeah, I think uh it is very much clearly a great testing ground for innovation and I, I don't know that many people often would realize that um and that's mm. why, that's why i think it's great to have you know conversations like this so that people can understand all the work that goes into a festival and actually creating mm. that experience because it isn't just yes people are having a good time but it isn't just about that you know for you guys you see it as a way to yeah test out different systems that you know, maybe someone could try it for a few days and then take that home and apply it. So I think, yeah, personally, they're kind of like a cool school for adults <laughs> that people want, <laughs> that people kind of want to go to, um, where yeah. they can consume messages um, that are important yeah. and can enrich their life. So
1: yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, like, I, I think composting toilets is a great example. Like, I know personally, except for maybe when you go to a national park or something like that, like I had never really used composting toilets before going to shows and they come from a place of wanting, I mean, really they're, they're a great solution for events because it, it means you can avoid using vast amounts of water. Um, and the servicing is way less than if you have chemical toilets. So it's an economic solution, but it's also a sustainable solution, and it's also an education opportunity because there's ten thousand people there. Maybe like I would say, at least seventy percent of them have never used a composting toilet before. Yeah. So it's 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 all the little things, you know. I mean, I think people the the <laughs> the normies or the non-festival-going public um, probably just put us in a in a bit of a bucket and say, oh, it's just about music and hedonism um and i think that we need to get away from that we need to be recognized more for what we are trying to do um and supported more to try and achieve those things because as you say we're a great testing ground for change
0: mm. that's something you know just chatting to indivi- different individuals for this podcast actually that's really come through they're like festivals found me and I didn't realize how much innovation happened through you know these events where you can test things and and then they've gone Mm. on to apply it in their own businesses outside of festivals and I think you know that's really that's really amazing and and many other people might not necessarily realize that um have there been what would you say I know Strawberry obviously had their 10-year anniversary but are there any key moments or pivotal moments that you were just like yeah okay i kind of feel like i need to pitch myself i can't believe i'm doing this or um yeah just amazing (laughs) memories where you're like sick
1: yeah i mean there's a lot jeez it's really i probably should have prepared some some something from the vault for this but i mean there's there's so much like it's for me it's the little things you know like um during the festival myself and like the other co-directors and our event manager, kind of like our core team, you're pretty much on the go the whole time. You know, you got, you got a squawk box in your ear telling you what's going on. People are constantly asking you questions. You're being called to different parts of the venue to just kind of respond to things or speak to someone or meet the mayor or like meet the media or like meet an artist. It's pretty task to task. But whenever I have, like, gaps in that, I'm either um, eating as much food as possible with, with, with my friends or I just walk around. Like, I just walk around by myself and I just walk around and see what it's like to be a punter to a degree. I mean, I'm never really going to fully know that, but I try to know that. I try to just yeah. see what's going on, like, what what is the vibe um, in different areas. And, like, I remember one year um, – we, it was before we started having a, a stage at the beach, um, and the, the river, the beach was really just like a swimming area and it was, it was super mellow. So we'd organized a couple buskers, um, that really just people I'd seen performing on the street in Melbourne. And this was maybe five, five years ago, I think. Um, one of them was Tash Altana, which is pretty hilarious. Um, she used to, she used to, uh, date one of my housemates, um, one of my friend's housemates and I'd seen her bask and, you know, she'd like come with a little milk crate busking set up and bust on the river. But, um, it was one of these times where I was just walking around seeing what was going on. It was really beautiful afternoon, you know, like just that golden hour of camping festivals where there's like, that film of dust in the air, which is probably going to destroy your lungs but also just looks really pretty yeah. <laughs> at sunset and everything just seems quite magical on a walk towards the river. And there was this guy that I'd seen busking in Melbourne. His name's Joe. I think his artist name is MEX.FS. And he just plays acoustic lap guitar, um, really mellow but super beautiful. And and I <laughs> I used to leave them these – like rambling notes. Like if I saw someone good in Melbourne, I'd just drop a note in the case and be like, if you want to play, like send me an email and I would be so, I'd never, never organize it well. Like I'd, they'd email me and I'd just send them tickets. They'd be like, where am I performing? When I'm like, man, you're a busker. Just do, just do it. It's (laughs) all good. (laughs) Like this, like I'll pay, like this is how much you're getting paid. Here's your tickets. Like figure it out, make it organic. And, um, I walked down to the river and he was playing and he had like 50 people sitting on the ground in a circle around him. And it's, you know, I'm, I'm a softie. Like I just burst out crying <laughs> because it's like it's that's that's what's special, you know. Like those people had no idea that he was going to play music there yeah. until he started doing it. They hadn't planned that. It wasn't on the set times. Um, it was totally organic. And, and I think that's – those are the kind of experiences that, that – that shake people up in a good way you know like it's great to see your favorite band or your favorite dj play an absolutely cranking set that you've been waiting for for six months as soon as you saw the lineup announced i'm not putting that down but it's a different kind of magic when you aren't expecting something
0: yeah just those little elements of surprise for people
1: yeah, I was, like, crying, like, leaning against a tree, like, Jesus Christ, nobody nobody look at me right now.
0: <laughs> oh, I think that's really, like, beautiful um, and sentimental, you know. And to be honest, for him as well, mm. you know, he probably didn't know what to mm. expect from maybe the lack of comms with you and you're just like, go, make it organic. And then, you know, he's yeah. got 50 people just really enjoying his music and, you know, he can say that he's played at a festival and, you know, that might just come for from sure. a, note, a note on his little bag on the street um for sure if you were to I guess give any wise pieces of advice for someone who might oh, be no. thinking don't ask me to
1: give advice to people <laughs> that, assumes, that assumes a lot well, about, what
0: about would be what, my... what would be
1: your what would be your
0: top tip then if there's somebody sat at home and they're like that is my dream I want to be in the like music industry I want to create a festival create experiences for people what would be your top tip to them
1: you just got to have tenacity. It's hard. Like, it's not, it's really not, it's not glamour and rainbows 90% of the time, yeah. to be honest. It's it's emails and spreadsheets and controversy and people saying no and um, people complaining and people wanting a world from you. And there's really, like, to be honest, fuck all money in it. Like, I think that there's this tiny sliver of, of shows worldwide, like not just in Australia, that are really, really commercially successful. And it's, it's usually a specific business model which underlies that. Um, but the rest is, is – it, it is fundamentally a passion-driven industry. You know, people do this because they love it. And if you don't love it and if your passion is not your priority for why you're trying to do it, you're going to struggle. You know, if, if music is something you love or events are something you love, um, there's also nothing wrong with having a day job and, and doing small shows and events just for fun because you love it. I mean, that's, that's how we all started. Like yeah. we were not making a living doing this for probably the first six years that we did it out of ten like we all had other jobs we had other businesses we had other pursuits that 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 kept the lights on and you know in our lives um and we had to go through a lot of really scary moments and I think part of what got us through them was just being really naive Uh, part of it was dumb luck and then part of it was just that we thought it was worth it you know we we thought the experience was worth it and There's something liberating about not being driven by the money as well. Like if if you have another job or, or a vocation, um, that supports you, um, you can really make decisions based on integrity. Mm. Like you can say, I don't need this show to make, you know, X dollars so that I can live for the next year. Um, I'd rather it be as good as possible and I'm willing to like, to erode those, um, erode those potential gains because I think it will be a better outcome for the show.
0: Yeah. I guess not
1: all eggs in one basket, right?
0: Yeah. Have to diversify.
1: Yeah. At the same time, like, it does get to a point where the show is quite consuming and for the last three years it's definitely been basically a full-time job for me. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, don't, I hate giving advice, but, I yeah, I would have to say you just have to be – tenacious like you have to be dedicated um because that's what's going to get you through like when it's like 3am and you're like printing lanyards because you realize no one fucking printed the lanyards like that's what's going to make you keep going (laughs)
0: um I guess with that you know like you say there has been many challenges and the world has thrown us a a really great curveball with ISO what's that kind of meant for you and Obviously, events are on hold, so the future mm. is a little bit unknown, especially for this year. Uh, but yeah, what, what have you been up to in ISO and, and where's your head at?
1: Um, it's interesting. I'm actually doing um, a panel in about a week's time with, uh, that's being put on by Boom Festival in Portugal, obviously, because Boom is not happening this year. And I'm sure that hurts them more than anyone because they're actually on every two years but the theme of the panel is rave resilience (laughs) and it's bringing it's bringing together a bunch of different people from from the industry across across the world talking about coronavirus and and the impact of iso and what it's doing to events and whatnot and a consistent thing we've all been chatting about in in like the pre-chats is that it's a really important moment to reflect i suppose um Events are can be a kind of harrowing vocation, you know, like it, sometimes it feels like it never ends. Like we used to have like a six-month period of nothing and after doing a show. And for the last few years, you've started booking the lineup for next year before this year has even happened. And, you know, people are emailing you saying, oh, clear these dates. What's 2022? Oh, let's make a pipeline. And it's sometimes just like, Jesus, when do I get to stop and just – think about this show with a bit of distance. Mm -hmm. So for us, I think that's what's happening is we're we actually have a pause for everyone to one rest, (laughs) Uh, rest, rest, restore, get some distance, get some perspective um, about what we want to do when we come back. That's the positive side of things. I mean, obviously the stressful side of things is that there are a lot of people who depend on us for a, at least a portion of their income yep. and um that opportunity has now disappeared so i think there is some some people are having some like come to jesus moments about the career that they've chosen for themselves um and i just hope that there's enough resilience ray rave resilience um in people to persist i suppose yeah um and there's enough support from governments um, that we can kind of make it through this time and and don't find that in four months, six months, 12 months, two years when shows can come back on that a lot of crew and fundamental drivers of talent, you know, skills in the industry have just moved on to different jobs because they had to.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's Mm. kind of coming at people from all different directions really isn't it and no one really knows when when events can start Mm. and what that kind of future is going to look like I'm sure it'll be a phased approach as well it's not going to be all back in one go um yeah do you want to talk a little bit about your new project
1: what's my new project the food food side of things (laughs) oh Wow. Okay, cool. Yeah, no, it's 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 a world away from festivals. Um, but like myself and my business partner from Strawberry, um, Billy, we have been working in the background for a couple of years on um, a wild game foods business. So for people who aren't aware, um, Australia has a really, really strange ecological situation in that a lot of what exists today in Australia is not native, including, you know, everything from an apple to a sheep. But, um, some of the biggest issues we have with that, having changed the environment so dramatically, uh, overpopulated invasives. So there are millions and millions of wild invasives in Australia. And that's, that's everything from feral cats and dogs to, uh, wild goat, wild deer, wild boar, um, wild cattle up north, brown you know, there's, there's a full spectrum and there's often a lot of controversy about what to do with them. Um, and the main approach that governments and conservation authorities have taken is culling programs that are really expensive and they often involve using helicopters and, and sometimes even poisons, which are pretty scary because there's a risk that natives could also consume those poisons but essentially what we're doing is we're changing the model of removing those animals from the ecosystem so um and we've we've created a commercial harvesting model that allows the um deer to be harvested for human consumption yeah so venison is delicious if you haven't tried it (laughs) um, um it's it's really really popular um in the United States and Europe, in Australia, it's it's kind of not a very commonly seen thing. Um, but our plan is to give it a give it a nudge into renaissance. Um, but it's really about getting people to think about where their food comes from, especially if you eat meat, um, because it's an opportunity to eat a really nutritious, delicious protein uh, that has a negative or neutral carbon footprint because they're animals that need to be removed anyway um, and we're just doing it but ensuring that nothing goes to waste so we're conserving those habitats so that native flora and fauna can bounce back but also sort of helping farmers deal with invasives at the same time.
0: Yeah nice yeah I was reading mm. um, Dark Emu that gave me a, ah, uh, amazing. A, a really good insight into yeah how much is not native and how, da- yeah, how damaging everything. how damaging it's been to land like I remember reading about uh I think it was yams were like uh, yeah. uh one of the kind of like main sources of food and I was like I don't even think I've ever seen a yam in Australia I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know they were like native to here apart from reading that book so I just think it's really interesting and you know part of this podcast is, as well is to Show that you know people who work in the festival industry diversify and you know have oh, you know 100%. fingers in different pies. And um, I think it's a really interesting, um, you know, business that you're approaching and nice that it has that sustainability lens, which I know that you have over Strawberry as well. So just wanted to give you the opportunity to share that message. Thanks,
1: thanks for letting me give the shout out, follow at discovered underscore foods on instagram full shout out complete
0: there you go it's a beautiful instagram feed i can say (laughs) and um would individuals have tried a bit of that actually because we had the strawberry
1: um kitchen we did so we supplied um venison for for the strawberry wood fried kitchen last year where our friend Ari who's an amazing chef from new zealand he just did a, a series of like wild venison pies um, and like a bone broth, and then there was a bunch of veggie stuff as well. But the reactions were pretty good. I think people just mostly were hungry <laughs> and were more more concerned with it tasting good and um, enjoying it than necessarily like recognizing the, the bigger story. And and that's kind of. The challenge we have is like we want people to eat it. We want it to be delicious, but we want them to understand why. Mm-hmm. And it, it's hard. It's hard to do at a festival to like just yep. stand there and be like, "Do you know? Did you know what went into that pie? <laughs> Let me tell you." <laughs> um, but it was great. Like we definitely surprised a lot of people. I think a lot of people ate it and were just surprised by the taste. You know.
0: Yeah, my partner very much enjoyed the pie. I remember him talking into that and having a no big, big grin on his good face. Pies. Um, are there any other kind of future projects, or I know you've probably got quite a bit on your plate with that sort of coming to fruition and and somewhat launching during this time? Um, are there any things that you yeah really want to do um, in the future with Strawberry or with that business, or are those just your focuses for now?
1: You don't want me to just give it all away, don't you? I mean, look, Strawberry is amazing, and 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 it does take a lot of work, so presuming that we can be on next year. Um we would absolutely love to do that and and make it a make it a, a a ripper of a year. So that will take a lot of work, but um look to be honest, we are working on a new show. Um it's it's along the same tint I suppose as things that we're interested in, but it will have quite a different um style to strawberry but because we've secured the strawberry venue as our permanent home um we've been encouraged by by locals um, by the landowners and by council to to start a second show and, and really make the most of it so we're looking at starting a new festival date totally tbc um name tbc but uh, with a more of a focus on live music Um, This event will be family-friendly, whereas uh, Strawberry is 18 and over. Um, It will be focused on food, uh, blues music, country music, reggae, all the full spectrum of live music, but also um, regenerative agriculture. So I don't know how much you know about regenerative agriculture, but essentially there is a... There is a school of thought, I suppose, on on land management and grazing and livestock management called holistic management, and it's about a a, a technique of farming um, which allows you to actually rebuild soils. People are, to the point that people actually call themselves soil farmers, and you know we're really facing a crisis in soil in Australia and globally Um, there are some people who have gone so far as to say that there are only 50 or 60 harvests left globally before we degrade the topsoil completely so this technique of farming does involve some initial outlays but it's it's not just a super hippy dippy like um alternative out there uh practice it's actually something that has educators in australia you know guys who have been in pastoral grazing for decades teaching it and um committed to helping as many farmers transition to that method as possible so being in a rural area it makes sense for us to try and look at new ways to really bring the community in rather than bringing in our own community and just appeasing the people around us um we want to look at making them one and the same and i don't see why we can't use what's already a beautiful venue with some great infrastructure to address a totally different audience and bring back some of our own as well yeah so stay tuned yeah and news
0: tbc exciting and you know i think it's it's great and it completely makes sense especially like you say given you've got that land um, already as part of uh, the agreement for strawberry and holding events does bring so much to those local towns you know whether it's strawberry or rainbow etc you know there is that uh, positive impact that events do have in bringing people for an event um, and subsequently for sure you know bringing business into the local shops and whatnot Um. yeah so I think that's yeah it's very exciting and I think you know it's super interesting just to um, he obviously very passionate about the land, and I think that's uh, nice to see that it comes through in the different projects that you you look to bring to fruition. Um, mm. Is there anything that you would like to see more of at other events that um, yeah might not necessarily apply to the events that you're doing?
1: Yeah, I think <laughs> I think that we we as a you know industry. <laughs> This is going to sound like like a slasher. I think we need to get a bit more creative, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Like there is a lot of pressure um, in, in events to have, you know, the hottest lineups and the best talent and the, the biggest stage and the biggest sound system and those things have impact. Like they can be important, oh. but... It feels like especially over the last three to five years there's been a paradigm shift both domestically and internationally of every festival in the world chasing the same 50 artists every year and replicating lineups. You know, you you can look at a festival in Holland and see the same lineup in Australia. You can look at a festival in, you know, L.A. or... Coachella to Fuji Rock to secret sounds of shows I mean like there's great music out there and these artists deserve to be celebrated but I think that we're placing too much emphasis on the lineup as the be-all and end-all of the so-called festival when really it's so much more than that you know like yes you do have to um, appease I suppose people who are paying you know Reasonably high amounts for a ticket. As to why that is the case, but it also means the industry itself is a lot less sustainable. Like if you're creating a show that really depends on booking Tyler the Creator or you know whoever the hottest act of the year is, then what are you really offering? You know, are people coming because your festival and your culture and your site and your offering are like really important to them or are they just coming because they just want to see that act that year and you can't put patrons like all into one box there's always going to be some who only care about the lineup There's some who care about more but if if we're talking about creating a resilient industry with a long-standing cultural contribution um, I think we have to offer more than what people expect from us you know um, and Things like Dark Mofo in Tasmania are a fantastic example of that. Like, I don't think anyone who goes there and I've been multiple times with so many friends who've gone, like, knows the lineup inside out. Like, there's so much avant garde, just flat out. It's weird, kind of one of those there. that you
0: book that you like. I'm not really looking at don't a lineup. I... It's just I know that I'm exactly. going to get something amazing and in terms of an experience, exactly,
1: exactly. And and if you look at the world's most iconic shows, like. You know, Burning Man, obviously, um, things like Dark Mofo. It's 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 absent of a reliance on anything except the community that creates it. To be honest, and that's a really hard thing to do. But I think that there's enough there's enough creativity, passion, motivation, um, innovation within the people who are putting on shows at the moment to push a bit harder. Yeah, and that's one of the things that I think is going to come out of. of of this pandemic is people are going to have to be more creative. You know, like it's great that we can only really focus on domestic lineups for the short term because there are Australian artists who deserve to be celebrated. But it's also the time to ask what are we going to do to attract people, to give people an experience that's not just based around the same international artist over and over again, you know. And that's what I want to see more of is just people... Showing their creativity, showing their contribution, and making people have a great time because that's that's what people people come to us searching for an exuberance and and a, a an experience but also connection also learning you know so I think those things are possible and it's a great time to reset for it
0: do you think that that might um kind of push for more investment in broader arts over and above just music because for me that's something yeah. that I've seen in like you know from the age of 17 now to 33 going to festivals that's the one thing that for me I started to go like yes always been very driven by music but the mm. things that I can interact with is what create that experience and to me then you're booking a festival not based on lineup, you're like, I know that these people care about all the nuances that are around me, and the you know, I'll probably even still be surprised each year if I've gone back and back to a festival
1: 100%. 100%. And I mean, like, especially if you're going to something that goes for a few days, like. How many hours can you just spend standing at a stage? Yeah. I mean, maybe the first time you can. (laughs) I probably did it for a good as you, you, Yeah, as you get older, I think to have longevity of presence going to shows and participating in shows, you start to need more than just music, you know. Um, You need to be drawn into new spaces and you need to have your mind like – stimulated provoked you know you need to have spaces where you can meet new people spaces for community spaces for learning um and i don't know i think that i think the younger generation is more like, like aware of that to a degree you know what i mean well there's um, definitely
0: more on offer i mean when i when i think about 100%. when i when i started going at 17 and my first festival was Creamfields, like there's definitely no workshops happening and I can't imagine there was anything like to learn, um, other than Mm. like listen to music. So for me, yeah, we've, we're a very far cry from where it used to be for me growing up. Um, Mm. but yeah, I think it's exciting. And, uh, to your point, it'll be interesting to see what comes out the back of ISO, um, for events and yeah, how people, shake it up, promote local artists, um, and maybe drive further and delve deeper into the arts world.
1: Um, Yeah. I mean, fundamentally, we just need to create more value than we take, you mm -hmm. know? Like, it can't just be about making money or throwing things in the bin, you know, which is what a lot of so-called successful shows are about, Um, like, as... Organizers that do large events, and I think Strawberry is quite small compared to a lot of large events, but, you know, if if you are calling in audiences in the tens of thousands per year, you have a responsibility to manage like a part of our collective culture. Like that is that is part of the commons, you know, and if you're managing part of the commons, it's your responsibility to make sure that it thrives and grows and is not depleted.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I can't even imagine actually where festivals will be in like twenty-five years' time.
1: <laughs> like, I don't... You, did you see? Did you see the photos of um, the first festival that happened in the UK the other weekend? No. And it was, it was uh, like there was a stage where the DJs were separated from the crowd by a moat.
0: Oh right. And
1: then the moat, and then on the other side of the moat, you could book a pitch. So a pitch was, oh, like, so it was like
0: socially distanced um, in squares. Yeah, it was a,
1: it was a hexagon with an umbrella and six chairs under it and then there would be like 50 of those and you could book one with you and five friends i guess and it had an event capacity of like 600 a day or something and you know you'd get called out to your pitch and you can't get up and go and and staff deliver contactless you know food and beverages to you I while you kind watch of the had I'd
0: like thought about this happening with events but then I was like how does it work when people need to go to the bathroom
1: like <laughs> Yeah, I I mean it's it's a it's it's kind of heavy because there's a degree to which we all want to come back to do what we love again and you know make a living, but at the same time, I mean for us anyway, I'm not really interested in coming back if it's at the sacrifice of the experience. Yeah, you know if we have to put in place controls which may make sense for health reasons, I I can't I can't argue that I'm not not a doctor, but from our perspective, affect the experience to the point that it's not one that we recognise as valuable anymore on a cultural context, then it's just not worth doing. Yeah, I'm not sure. We need to find new ways of doing that, you know, and new spaces for it, and it it may not be festivals anymore.
0: Yeah. Yeah, who knows what lies ahead, but hopefully not sitting in pens watching people yeah
1: no screens we need way less screens I'm really I'm getting over the screens as I say (laughs) while I'm looking at you on a screen
0: all right I've heard you I've heard you um is there (laughs) anything else that you would like to share or any key things that you would like to say to any listeners
1: uh no I mean just thank you so much this has been rad and for anyone who I mean, might be 18 years old and has never been to their first festival and is like, holy shit, what a time to be coming of age and I can't do all these things I've been thinking about. I would just, yeah, encourage you to find ways to break the system, I suppose, um, and find the new forums for connecting with your mates, inspiring each other, you know, celebrating content that you think is amazing because it may not be the way it used to be anymore and and that's just life
0: yep very wise words
1: (laughs) i hate giving advice don't forget i just say stuff that we don't class it as advice they're just words
0: you're selling you're selling yourself too short um (laughs) i think that's about it we can pretty much wrap it up there
1: cool thank you so much really really stoked for the for the chance to chat
0: Thanks for tuning in to Creative Connectors. Hopefully, you enjoyed the chat. If so, please subscribe, share with friends, support the community, and tune in to the next one.